As we assemble here this morning, we find that a lot of minds are turned to Jesus and his resurrection. We find various proclamations, sometimes signs and other indications of the fact that he is risen. Well, that's true. As we think about the resurrection of Christ, though, we find that on days such as this, people sometimes stop with the resurrection. This is a great story in God's plan to redeem man, but this is by no means the ending point. After we read about the resurrection of Christ, the story of God's plan to redeem man continues. This morning, we want to think about the continuation of the story. Yes, Jesus has been raised from the dead. Yes, that's good news. But after the resurrection, did Jesus just go back to heaven and began to idly sit there and let time continue to pass? Has the Lord been doing anything after the resurrection? Well, today we can answer this question, and we can answer this question from Ephesians 5, our text. In this chapter, we find the word church being used several times. If you've been with us on recent Sunday mornings, we've studied the word church in this morning. We want to study this word, but we want to study it in a slightly different way. We want to study the word church, which is used several times in Ephesians 5. It's found in Ephesians 5, verses 23, 24, 25, 27, 29, and 32. We want to look at each of these passages, and normally we look at these passages from beginning to last. But for the sake of this material, to develop it in what I think is probably a better way, we want to reverse the passages. We want to begin with Ephesians 5.32, and then we want to reverse order as we move to the text. If you found Ephesians 5, let's start with the information that we find in the 32nd verse. There towards the end of the chapter, Paul said, This mystery is great, but I speak in regard of Christ and of the church. When we think about the not-so-distant past, we find that there was a generation that put a great deal of emphasis on Christ or Jesus, but when it came to the church, this generation said no. Jesus, yes, the church, no. These exact words are not often used by people today, but this basic sentiment still exists. Ephesians 5.32, though, suggests that there is a connection. There is a very close connection between, between Jesus and the church. Verse 32 would seem to suggest that if we somehow reject the church, we also reject Christ. In addition to connecting Jesus with the church, Paul says something else in Ephesians 5.32. It's here that the apostle speaks about a mystery. Now, mysteries are interesting things. I know there's some here that read mysteries. Mysteries are items that draw and keep attention. Mysteries intrigue people. If we read a mystery, and they take different forms, but generally all the mysteries that have been written drop clues. There are various hints or there are subtle indications of some things that we need to figure out uh, as we, we move through a, a mystery book. Some games that people here have played are mystery games. As we play those games, generally there are some clues. It may be in a deck of cards, or maybe there's uh, another way that it's configured, but mystery games generally contain some kinds of uh, clues. Mysteries need to be solved. And oftentimes we solve those mysteries by the clues. There are some mysteries that remain unsolved because people say we don't have enough information. We don't have enough clues. We don't have enough evidence or enough material to solve the mystery. When we think about mysteries, some are very easy. Other mysteries are incredibly difficult. Paul says concerning the mystery about Jesus and the church, he says it's a great mystery. Concerning the subject, Paul says we need some information to help us figure out what's all involved with it. Many will glimpse at the church and say, well, I know all about the church. I've worshipped there a couple times and I've you know, read a little bit about it and I don't need to know anything more about it. When I hear that statement, I think about Ephesians 5.32. Paul says concerning Christ and church, there is a mystery. And not only there is a mystery, he says there is a great mystery. Now to me it sounds like it's going to take more than a couple of minutes to figure out all that's involved with Christ and the church. Before then someone rejects the church, 
they should at least investigate, they should at least look at what all is involved with it. Our lessons thus far have opened the door to the idea that the church is a great institution. It is such a great institution that Jesus was willing to die for it. He was willing to give his life for it. The church in the New Testament, as we've shown, is one of the most unique and special organizations that will ever exist. And there's some unusual things associated with it. So as we think about Ephesians 5, and especially as we back up and look at these other verses in the chapter, this mystery is something that bears investigation. And as we look at it, it is an organization that deserves our close attention and participation. Having introduced the mystery, let's see what Paul says about it. Backing up to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 29. Here he says, For no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, even as Christ also the church. Now in the second part of this verse, we once again see a connection, a close connection between Christ and the church. Paul says Jesus, as he looks at the church, it's so important to him. He was not only willing to die for it, Acts 20, 28. He wants to cherish and nourish the church. In life, we find people oftentimes cherishing and nourishing things or people that are important to them. If a neighbor gets a new car, or we know someone that may not be a neighbor but gets a new car, we may find that for the first few days or the first few weeks or maybe the first few months, they're out there. They don't want any dirt in that car. There's some people who get a new car and they will wash it every single day, maybe even twice a day, to make sure it stays nice and shiny. I can name some homemakers who, when it comes to the dishes, I mean they nourish and they cherish your dishes. When they take knives and forks out of the dishwasher, they check them out to make sure that they're clean. When they wash glasses, they hold it up to the light and make sure that that glassware is not going to be dirty when it's put into the cupboard. And they do the same thing with plates. They freak out if they find a dirty plate in the cupboard. We find new mothers with that first child. Oh, they want to nourish and cherish the baby. Every time there's a cry, every time something might be wrong with the child, let's check it out and let's make sure everything's okay with my baby. They love the children. We find animal owners who are known to love and cherish their pets. You know, there's some places where people can buy some fur coats for dogs. I heard that. I went back and did a little looking this past week, and there are some places that will sell you some nice fur coats for your pet. And if you're not interested in fur coats, maybe you live down south in Florida, and that's the wrong kind of thing, for $3,000. You can buy a 22-carat gold thread mattress for your dog. And then there's the pet pavilion, a little more expensive, that comes in at 24000 And if you really have some money to blow, and this isn't the most expensive, but you can buy a 52-carat diamond collar for $1.8 million. Now, there's some people that love and cherish, and they want to honor their pets, and they'll buy them some nice stuff, from fur coats to diamond collars. We find an example of people all the time loving and nourishing and cherishing someone or some things. Jesus, he was raised from the dead. And now as the Lord ascended back into heaven and he reigns from there, he's doing some things, Paul says, for his church. And this is part of that mystery, Ephesians 5.32. Paul says that Jesus, as he is in heaven, as he rules over his people, he is nourishing, he is cherishing, he is working to honor and help his people. Stated another way, the promise of Christ is that as we go through life, the Lord will guide us and help us. We may remember that Jesus referred not to himself as a shepherd, but in John 10, Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. I'm willing to lay down my life for the sheep. I'm willing to protect and help my sheep. If they're put into my hand, no one is going to snatch them from this particular place. Now, to qualify for this great care, to qualify for the nourishing and the protection that Jesus has, we've got to be in his pasture. Sometimes a person wants the protection, the help, the aid of Jesus, and they want to be in some other pasture. And the Lord said, that's not going to work. If I'm your shepherd, you have to be part of my flock. 
you have to be in my pasture. This is part of that great mystery as well. Ephesians 5.32. But for some people, they simply don't get it. If we will study the Bible, we will begin to see what the church is. Why Christ was willing to die for it. And why it is so necessary. Now that we know a little bit about the mystery of Christ and the church, we know that it is the place where Jesus nourishes and cherishes people. Let's back up a little bit more. In Ephesians 5, let's now move back to the information that we find in verse 27. Here again, the word is church is used, and Paul said here, that he might present the church to himself. A glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. At the appropriate time, Paul knew and Paul said that Jesus will present the church to himself. A time is going to come where the church will be blessed eternally and fully in every possible sense. It's going to be taken to heaven and it will be absolutely spotless. Well, this is interesting because a lot of people, they want to go to heaven, but they want nothing to do with the church on earth. The church which contains the saved under the New Testament era is the vehicle. It is that group of people. It's where God puts the folks who are forgiven of their sins and who will one day be taken to heaven. Now some, and we might say perhaps many, do not believe this. A lot of people think that God is a good, loving, gracious God and he's just going to save everybody, whoever they are. That's not true. When we study what the word church is, we find that it is a word which helps us understand that mystery, Ephesians 5.32, helps us understand who and who's going to be saved and why God is going to save them. Part of this information is found in the verse just read, Ephesians 5, verse 27. Jesus cares for the church in such a way. His protection is so full that it does not have any spot, any wrinkle, or any such thing. Now, as I was thinking about this statement last week, I was thinking of it in terms of a city. Did a little looking, and a neighboring city, South Bend, has a population, which I think will serve as a good illustration. South Bend right now has a population of about 100,000 folks. Now, imagine if we could, in one large area, gather every person from South Bend. What would we find? Well, I think we'd probably find some people that don't smell all that great. When we look at South Bend, we have some people who do not bathe on a regular basis. They're people who are living under bridges and some other things, and they just don't have a chance to bathe on a regular basis and probably do not smell all that well. We would find if we could gather all the people from South Bend that there would be individuals who would have various maladies. They're sick, and they have various diseases and maybe some defects. If we could gather every single person from South Bend, we would find that we have a mix of the good and the bad. For the sake of illustration, though, try to imagine that we get everybody in South Bend together. And as we begin to look at the person, individual, as they, uh, look at the people, after, uh, individual after individual, we do not find any defect. We don't find any malady. There is no sickness. There are no bad smells. Every single person is perfect in every way. Now, for that's, that's us, that's hard to imagine. This is the picture in Ephesians 5. Christ is the one who purifies his church. Jesus is the one who cleanses all those defects. Jesus is the one who uh, deals with all those maladies. It is because of Jesus' work, his nourishing, his protecting, his purifying the church, that it is an organization without defect. There are, the people who are in that organization are without sin. I do not know, we do not know, how many people are going to be saved from the New Testament era. How many people will become members of Christ's church and be faithful? I'd suggest, though, that the number is probably going to be far more than 100,000. And out of all those people, if we could look at them individually, oh, people who had been spotted and stained by sin, but also people who, because of Jesus' death, bear a resurrection because of his current work, people who have been cleaned up in such a way where they stand before the throne of God, absolutely flawless, cleansed of every sin, forgiven of every vile deed. When we think about the people in the church, they are people 
who are continually purified from sin by the benefits of Christ's blood. The statement in Ephesians 5.27 is a wonderful truth. But you know, it is a truth that only applies to the people who are part of Christ's church. There are people who are accountable for their sins, but they've not been cleansed, they've not been purged from their sins by the blood of Christ. When they're in that state, they do not have the promise, they do not have the blessing of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27. If we are guilty of sin, and a time comes, when people, as they mature, they do reach that point, and we're not in the church, Jesus' blood has not been applied to our lives. If the Lord's blood has not been applied to our lives, then instead of being blemish-free, we're full of blemishes. Instead of being spotless and wrinkle-free, we're wrinkled in the sense of sin. We're spotted head to toe because of unrighteousness. When people are in this state, they are not suitable for heaven as their eternal home. And it is for this reason, it's part of the mystery in Ephesians 5.32, it's for this reason that they will one day be turned away. We have a world full of people who believe, who sincerely believe they're going to go to heaven because they are a good person. That doesn't cut it with God. It's not the good people who are going to go to heaven. It's the people who are in Christ's body. It's the people who have been purified from sin by the blood of Christ. That's part of the great mystery. Ephesians 5.32, and it is a point that is so important, but often so misunderstood by people. Well, this mystery, God doesn't leave us in the dark about it. He's explained it. But we've got to go back to the Bible and read what the scriptures say so we can know and do what is right. Christ has been raised from the dead. He now continues to cleanse his people who are part of that spiritual body of the church so that they can be redeemed from every single sin. And Paul impresses on us this point a little bit more as we now back up to Ephesians chapter 5 and see what we find in verse 25. Here he said, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for it. Jesus loved the church. He loved the church that so much that he was willing to die for. He loved the church to the point where he was willing to die a horrific death. Since the Lord was willing to make this kind, this level of commitment, we as individuals now must make a choice. Will we love Jesus as he loves his people? Will we commit ourselves to the organization that Jesus has committed himself to, himself to that is the church? There is the popular idea of accepting Christ, but fully or partially rejecting his church. That cannot be right if we want to, that cannot be done if we uh, want to please him. If Christ loved the church enough to die for it, we need to love it enough to be fully committed to it. It deserves our utmost attention. When it comes to spiritual matters, we are obligated, we have a duty to offer submission to God. Backing up a little bit more, we now find some information that's helpful to us in Ephesians 5 verse 24. Here Paul says, but as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives also be to their husbands in everything. The church is to be subject to Christ. Paul says to the church, to God's people, to Christians, you need to look at the Lord. And you need to obey Him. Why? Well, number one, because He's deity. Number two, because He is the one who built the church and bought it with His blood. Now today, sometimes congregations say, well, we have some ideas. Let's do this or let's do that. Ideas can be some great things. But when we deal with the spiritual realm, all the ideas need to be looked at through the scriptures. We need to go to God's word and say Christ is the head of the church. He's given us his word and we're obligated in every respect to follow this word. No addition, no subtraction. We simply need to follow the scriptures. This subjection is also part of the mystery of Ephesians chapter 5 verse 32. But people fail or refuse to study God's word and that gets them into trouble. Some religious groups have actually been formed by asking what people want. Now, can we imagine the audacity of that? 
trying to form a religious group based on what people want. We're to be subject to Christ. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, we need to ask what the risen Lord wants. Those who are followers of Christ want to get along with people. We really do. But what matters most to the followers of Christ is what does Jesus want. Ideally, we can know what the Lord wants, we can do it, and still be in a good relationship with people. But if we come to the point where we have to make a choice, where it is pleasing Christ or pleasing people, the choice is clear. We've got to please Christ. We have to be willing to do what he wants because Paul says, subject yourself to the Lord. If we're not willing to submit ourselves to Christ and be part of that church that he built, we're not going to be part of his group. Failing to submit ourselves to Christ means that the Lord is not going to be in a position where he can nourish and cherish us because we've rejected what he purchased with his blood. The church of the New Testament recognizes now Ephesians 5, verse 23, the headship of Jesus. In the 23rd verse, Paul said, for the husband is the head of the wife, and here's the comparison, as Christ also is the head of the church, being himself the savior of the body. This morning, our world is rejoicing, for the most part, over Jesus' resurrection. And we should rejoice over that as well. That's good news. It's something that we need to remember on a regular basis, and we do as we come here. Jeff mentioned, uh, when we assemble, we remember Jesus' death and his burial. But we also, by celebrating the resurrection, we in Paul, 1 Corinthians 11, Paul said we do that till he comes. So we recognize also that Jesus was raised from the dead every first day of the week. Jesus' resurrection, though, has some consequences. It's not just a piece of good news, but it is a fact that causes some things to flow from it. After Jesus' resurrection, he was raised from the dead and crowned with glory. He was given honor and all power. He now reigns in heaven. And this heavenly reign by the Lord means that he has some rules. We've got to be subject to him in every way if we want to please him. If we want to be in heaven with him, we have got to obey his rules. And if we will obey, he's going to save us. Because Ephesians 5.23 says that he is the savior of the body. It's not me. It's not some other man. But Christ is the savior of the body. Who's he going to save? He's the savior, yes. But what's he going to save? He's going to save the body. What is that body? It is the church that he nourishes protects, cares for the church that he purchased with his blood. This morning, as we think about the resurrection of Christ, we have to think also about his church. Are we a member? Are we a faithful member of that body? Someone says, well, I don't know. Do we believe? Well, someone says, I believe in Christ. That's good. But that's not enough to be in the body. Someone says, well, I believe and I've tried to turn my life around. That's also good. That's repentance. But that belief and that repentance will not put us into the body of Christ. Someone says, well, I've even confessed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That's wonderful. The Bible talks about confession. But you know, 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, For in one spirit, that is, we heard the teaching through the Holy Spirit, His Word. For in one spirit were we all baptized into one body. How do we get into the Lord's body? Not belief. Not belief and repentance. Not belief, repentance, and confession. There is that fourth step. We have to be baptized, that's water baptism, for the forgiveness of sins, Acts 22, 16. We are baptized into that one body. And then when we're there, we have all the great blessings of Ephesians 5. The resurrected Lord wants to help us through life. He wants to be the good shepherd for us. But we've got to be in his body. And if we're there, we are purified. We're without spot, we're without wrinkle, without any such thing. We're part of that great mystery that so many people don't understand about. Do we as we look at our life, know that we're in a right relationship with God. If not, this morning you have at least one more opportunity. 
to enter into Christ to be part of that spiritual body by taking the steps. You may believe and you may want to live in the right way. Maybe you've even confessed Christ as Lord. But there's that final step that you may lack. This morning you can do that. We have the facilities here to do that. If you're someone who has entered into the Lord, you've experienced that cleansing, that purification, but for some reason you've decided to leave that body and head back out into the world. Will you not consider where you are spiritually and think about what you've left? You've gone from a wrinkle-free, spot-free, stain-free life back into a world which is filled with filth. And this morning God says, I still welcome you back. I want you back on my side. Purified, redeemed, justified. Part of the body, Paul says, is going to be saved when the Lord returns. If we can help you become a part of this body, if we can help restore you to a part of this body, or you have another spiritual need, will you let us know about what that is as we stand and sing the selected song?